We left off last week at, we, let's see here, we did for one through five, and we need to be talking about number six, we did number eight too, but we'll be do, starting with six today in our book. Um, before we get to it, I just wanted to open up to see if there's anything that anybody would like to mention that they appreciated about something in the chapter, um, something that stuck out to them, something you underlined as just being a significant statement or thought or whatnot. Is there anything that anybody would like to mention or something about last week, what we talked about last week? Uh, anything you'd like to mention? just want to give you an opportunity to talk about what the Lord may have impressed upon your heart as you've been studying this. <clears throat> Go ahead. I'll share something. Um, I really was convicted about and challenged about his references to Revelation and how if we truly believe that that's what heaven is, you know, we should really set our affections on that. And I was just encouraged to try to think more about where we're actually going and how this life is very short. Right. And I really, like, when I was reading chapter 2, and he referenced Psalm 90, I just went to Psalm 90 and re read through that chapter, and it was very convicting, very um, compelling, just talking about our days are short. You know, we live 70, and perhaps by, by the strength of our years, 80, but then still, we all just die. And, you know, we need to see the wisdom and counting the numbers of our days. <laughs> and, you know, we'll be talking about that more when we get to chapter 2, but, you know, Psalm 90 is just a great psalm for you to reflect on this week if you haven't reflected on that recently. But, but yeah, the, the, the end is near. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, for all of our lives, the end is coming. The end will come unless the Lord returns first. Um, so... We can look forward to God's kingdom, and we want other people to look forward to it too, rather than see it as something that's negative. Because the coming of God's kingdom is only positive for those who actually benefit from it. For people who are not going to benefit from it, then it is a fearful thing. Anything else? I've heard it mentioned that in between the dates when we're born and the date that we die, is there's this little dash. Yeah. Like, what are you going to make of your little dash? Mm -hmm. But also, the last few weeks I've been thinking more so, even though we're alive and living, our, for a Christian's life, our, our life really doesn't, doesn't really begin until we're dead. Yeah. Like with our flesh. Yeah. You know, and eternity, when you think of eternity, the brief time we are is here is that's the significance of it. Mm -hmm. It's greatly minimized. Yeah, it's almost like this life is just the auction block. Who's going to get you in the end? God or the devil? <laughs> and then the rest of it, then the rest of your life commences at that point. And where our treasures really, really do lie. Yeah, right. Anything else? All right, well... Let's get here to, to the chapter 1. We'll finish up this sheet from chapter 1. Um, before we do, I promised Nancy that we'd, I would pray for Natalie Arn. Um, she's flying to Illinois to have sur cancer surgery or something. She still has her cancer marker is still going up. Her thyroid they have not been able to regulate. Um, 
So they're flying out today to Zion, Illinois, and her surgery is tomorrow. So she's just asking everyone to be in prayer. And the surgeon who is taking more out on her neck, they're taking out part of a muscle and I don't know what all. Um, but it's the same surgeon she had before, it's a lady. And so anyway, she sounded like she was glad. But just be in prayer. Yeah. Is that at the Cancer Centers of America? I think so. And then there are four kids. Someone, I know, is it's where someone in Florida is <laughs> taking care of their kids while they're gone. So. Yeah. So we'll pray for them. I'm going to pray for the, pray for her real quick and for her family. Lord, I thank you <clears throat> for this group of people that um, love you and love those who love you. And we uplift Natalie Arn as she's going to be having the surgery and flying into Illinois to have this surgery that will hopefully be able to deal with her cancer and um, be instrumental in making that go away. I pray that you would bring success during that time there in Illinois. Um, and I hope her family to not um, be cast down by this affliction that's going on. I pray for her kids as they'll be away from her for some time. And in Florida, I just pray that those who watch, you would bless those who are watching the children um, and pray that they would be encouraged by, your, by those who love you and by your own love. Um, just give her healing from her cancer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so number six. Uh, says, it is natural to believe that if we get hurt or something negative happens, something went wrong. We think that, it, you know, if, and that's kind of natural for anything. If you hurt, it means you made a mistake, something wrong happened, um, something that was not supposed to happen, happened. And this will tempt us to to stop. This will tempt us to stop. I mean, that's just, if you get hurt, if you touch the hot stove, you stop touching that hot stove, <laughs> right? We are naturally wired to run away from the things that hurt us. And it's the same with evangelism. I mean, that's a lot of where the fear to evangelize comes from. It's those harsh conversations, those people that have rejected you, those people that came against you. That hurts. That does not feel good. So we're wired to think that when that happens, well, we must have done something wrong. Something wrong happened. We said it wrongly. We should have said it differently. Or maybe that just wasn't the right time or wasn't the right place. Maybe they just don't need to hear it right now. We think that something went wrong. Is that always the case, though? Is that always the case? No. Now, there are times when we, we can be foolish in how we represent the gospel, we can give a bad message of the gospel. We can be overly harsh. We can be demeaning. We can be uplifted in our own minds. We can, we can legitimately be wrong in how we present the gospel. And we need to be careful that when we present the gospel, it's coming from a heart of love rather than a combatant spirit. Because some of us, we just like to argue with people. <laughs> Have you ever known somebody like that where you talk to them and it just seems like they always have to argue about something? You know, we can't come to people with the gospel and an argumentative spirit because that doesn't help anybody. We're not there to just prove a set of theories or facts to be true. It's not an argument. Go ahead. I went out 
years ago when Sandy and I were in North Dakota, and I was stationed at uh, Grand Forks Airport. Base. We went to church in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, mm -hmm. and the pastor there had a pastor school, and he had a bunch of preacher boys, about 60 of them, studying to be pastors. And I would go there on Wednesdays, and we'd go out door knocking on mm -hmm. visitation. And I went out with a young preacher boy, and I had never been out with him before. Mm -hmm. He was a pistol yeah. from, uh, from New York City. And we went to the first house that we went to. We knocked on the door, and this burly guy comes there, clutching a beer in one hand in his T-shirt, you know. Mm -hmm. And this guy looked at him. I won't mention his name. He's probably pastoring somewhere. Yeah. He pointed at me and he said, when you die, you're going to go to hell and you're going to split it wide open and you're going to fry like a sausage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I started walking down the stairs. I'm just going to start stepping backwards. <laughs> right, right, right. That yep. was the wrong approach. Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I, I would have liked to have known how that conversation ended up going. <laughs> he just slammed the door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let me take the next one. Right. <laughs> Don't you have somewhere to be? <laughs> oh, look at the time. Yeah. We don't, you know, our, our demeanor should not be somebody who just has a bone to pick or an axe to grind. You know, we're not coming out in the, you know, because we have something to prove. No, God has something for this per to give this person. God has a gift to give these people. We don't have something to prove. God has a gift to give. And we need to see it that way when we're going out talking to people about the loss. That this is, I mean, this was chapter one. Like, this is something that's good. Like, it's not just news. It's, this is good news. This is something that's awesome that God has given freely to these people. And I want you to have it. I'm not coming at you military, in military style, coming to, you know, just argue and fight and bicker. You know, we've had people come to our door from various denominations. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk with them a little bit and try to turn it into an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But sometimes they get combatants. Sometimes they don't. You know, I remember meeting with a... I actually sat down with a couple Mormons, and we had a great conversation. They were very cordial, very good very good people to talk to. Very, They were not argumentative. But then there have been other people who they just started demeaning you. They started telling you that everything that you're doing is wrong. And, you know, you need to believe what I believe because what you're believing is stupid. You know, we're not arguers. We are here carrying a gift that God wants us to deliver to that person, you know? And if they, receive, if they refuse to receive it, that's on them. It's not on you as long as you're diligently doing what you are called to do. We need to grieve if they do not receive it because if they die without receiving it, we know the end of that person, you know? So we should want, eagerly want them to receive the gift, but not... Not to the point, I mean, not in the way that we just turn into arguers. That's the hard point. Yeah. Just because, <clears throat> like with Barry, I, I, I can talk straight with Barry, but because somebody has tried to force him, mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, I catch myself, okay, don't say that because then that, he may think that you're pushing on him. And so yeah. I just have to pray that the Holy Spirit will, you know, 
show me too, not you know, yeah. pray for him that the Holy Spirit just works in his heart. But yeah. it's hard because I don't want to push it in, yet I want to be open. So I try my best to be open and honest. Yeah. And if the opportunity arises, you know, to say something, but to, to be careful that I'm not pushing. Yeah. So, you know. Right. I think the more that you're natural and be yourself, I know with Barbara, you know that I, I mm -hmm. yeah. about the brain too much. Yep. She's never one to be um, going to church. Yeah. And uh, last time I was here, I just mailed her a track in the mail and something about that. So you know she read it mm -hmm. because then she comes back to me this time because she's in this thing with her brain and she. Um, called me the other night and because we're high school friends we talked for yeah. over an hour on the phone and she says pray for me oh my goodness yeah. she would never say that yeah mm -hmm. so as you're talking to them just be yourself and pray to god while you're talking to them right that sometimes like with the peggy person that, that i witnessed to mm -hmm. um she came out with stuff like oh i'm running to a mormon now and I had told Linda, as I go into this house, pray for me. And she was the one that brought it up. And with Barbara, she brought it up. So pray to God that they bring it up. That they say, well, have you been to church lately? Or whatever. You know, and yeah. it helps a lot. It helps your yeah. confidence when they bring it up. Right, right. <laughs> you know. It's hard because time is short. Yeah. With this being very cranium, I don't know how many times right. that when I'm going to his home, his mind will right. be there. Right. And so my heart is so burdened. Yeah. Because, but I don't want to be pushy because my heart's burdened. His heart needs to be burdened. Right. And that's why I'm so grateful that the hospice and right. Crazy. Right now, just you're going there, Jackie. He knows you love him. Yes, and I do. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and we talk about that, and he knows. But it's still, it's. Every day that I go, if I don't share the Lord, yeah. I miss the opportunity. Right. Yeah. And the Lord will come and aid you. And sometimes I think about people who are hard like that. And I remember the passage where Jesus said, sometimes this can only be ha happening with prayer and fasting. Because they need, they need us to pray and fast on their behalf. You know? And as we know, our families are sometimes ours. Yeah. Right. Right. Whether it's a child or a parent or brother, sister, somebody else we're close to, it's not easy to just let them go <laughs> on their way because we know what they, where their way le leads. Because they, they know you and your parents. I'll never forget when I was, when I was saved. Way back when I was a new person, I was on fire. I had to tell everybody about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I drove all the way from here, from Kansas, to Chicago to tell my daddy that he needed to be saved. Yeah. And oh, that didn't go over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knew who yeah. I was. Yeah. And he knew me. Yeah. And that's very hard that people know who you are. Right. Because they remember you as you were, not mm -hmm. how you are today. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's hard to be who you are now around those people because you feel like you're being a hypocrite sometimes <laughs> when you're around them. And they push your buttons. <laughs> yeah, and they can push your buttons. 
But one thing they need to see more than anything is that the gospel has transformed our lives. My words are different. My life is different. The way I see things is different. You know, everything's different. They need to be able to see that. And sometimes it's hard for us to show it because we don't want to feel like a hypocrite. <laughs> you know? You know, uh, when John um, Leo was here one time, he shared this verse with us, and I, I underlined it in my Bible. Mm-hmm. It's one that has really helped me with that. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. It says, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, mm-hmm. so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, mm-hmm. and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I yeah. can. Yeah, that's good. I love that verse. Yeah, I would say write that verse down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down. And I wrote John's name down next to it so that I could remember that. So yeah. Sure. Yeah. He's the one pointed it out to us when yeah. We had church. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So when we don't evangelize, it's because we don't think well, sorry. It is natural to believe that if we get hurt or something negative happens, that something went wrong. This will tempt us to stop. It'll tempt us to quit, to not keep on going. It'll discourage us. And that's exactly what the people want, right? They want to combat you. So that you'll stop. Stop talking to me about this. And this is, as we've been talking about, this is not the answer. <laughs> it's not the answer is not stopping just because it hurts. You know, but this is what courage, this is what really what courage, where courage comes into effect. Courage um, is really when you see the pain, the potential harm that's up ahead. But the end goal is a much bigger deal. <laughs> So you decide to go on anyway. I mean, that's really the nature of what courage is anyway. And we must be strong and very courageous, just like God told Joshua. Because the journey up ahead will involve pain, but the end goal is worth it. So we cannot stop, even though we know that we're going to experience pain. And doesn't Jesus tell us, you will suffer for my sake. He already told you what's up ahead. Have we not counted the cost? Like Jesus said, we must, his disciples must count the cost. He said, if you follow me, you will suffer for my name's sake. So that's part of the cost that needs to be counted. Ah, that's not going to happen. I don't, I'm just going to live my life in such a way as to kind of erase that part of G, what Jesus prophesied. You know, I'll just kind of stay in the shadows, stay, you know, behind the scenes, just kind of do my thing behind the scenes. That's what we all say, right? I, I, just, I just work behind the scenes. Because that's where the pain isn't. The pain is out on the stage when you're actually in everybody's view and everybody's coming against you. That's why Jesus said that you will endure suffering if you're my disciple because his disciples are different and people see the difference and they come against it. And I think we'll talk about that in a little, a little bit more another time. The point in ver- number seven, the point of decision from page 15 is called the... You can say it out loud. The pain line. The pain line. You kind of can sense that feeling in a conversation where it's like, if I keep going, this is going to get awkward real fast. <laughs> you, can, you can kind of sense that coming within your spirit. You can sense that. And it's just this metaphysical thing where there's not really a, a book that tells you where the pain line is, but it's something that you feel when you're about to do something that could go badly. There's a pain line that you're like, if I cross this, if I do this, if I take one more step, then I'm opening myself up to getting hurt 
So that's the point of, that's why it's the point of decision. You're deciding, am I going to keep going across the pain line where the pain exists and where eternal profitability exists? Or am I going to stay on this side of the pain line, kind of do my flowery things that don't really do anything, but it feels religious and spiritual sometimes? You know, there's that line that you cross where you really get into the serious business of Christ's work where you can actually get hurt. And there's also that area where you can stay in and stay pretty comfortable without much risk of being hurt at all. You can do spiritual things. You can get involved in different things that aren't going to hurt you and feel like you're doing God's work. When God wants us to approach that pain line, sometimes at least, and go across that pain line where we open ourselves up, where we have to live by faith, on this side of the pain line, you don't have to live by faith. You can do whatever it is with your own strength. On the other side of the pain line, you have to walk by faith. You have to go in the strength of God, in the courage that he gives you. Because what you're doing has eternal implications. And we know that eternity is in God's hands, not man's hands. And if I'm going to go across this pain line and do the things that really matter, I need him to make this worth something. So that pain line, we can feel it. We can sense it in our spirit when we get there. And that's the point of decision. Anything you'd like to say about that? Anything that you read that triggered a thought? It's also, I heard that called the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you cross that pain line, you get on the other side. That's the Holy Spirit line. Yeah. That's where the Holy Spirit was at. And that's something... A lot of us that we we have to learn to give it to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and and pray for the Holy Spirit to take it because we and myself I, I'm a person you know I'm a type A personality mm-hmm. I want to make things happen yeah and I I've learned the hard way so many times over and over again that once I hit that pain line I can't go any further you have to give yeah. it to the Lord mm-hmm. and just give it to the Lord and walk away and yeah. pray so you can do. And it, yeah, in many in many circumstances, you get to a point where, like, it's my hands aren't going to make anything happen with this. God has to make it happen, you know. And I think the pain line that he's more or less talking about is, like, if I say this, somebody's going to come against me. If I do this, somebody's going to become my enemy. But it's something that must be done anyway. And so many of us have crossed pain lines before. Where we knew something bad was going to happen, but we knew we needed to do it. Because it was in God's name. It was for God's glory. It was for the sake of truth. Not sin. Sin is never the pain line. We don't sin in a pain line. But it's something for the glory of God that we are convicted that we need to do. Or this person needs to hear this, even though they're not going to like it. Not with a combatant spirit, but saying what needs to be said because it's the truth and they need to hear it. Because if I don't say it, nobody else is going to say it. But they need to hear it. And I know they're going to hate it. I know they're going to come against me. I know they're going to reject me. But I have to do it. That's a pain line that we have to cross sometimes. This is not necessarily something that you run into every single day. But we run into sometimes and we make a decision. Am I going to say what needs to be said because nobody else is going to say it? Or do I say, well, it's not really worth it because it's going to hurt me too much. 
because it's going to hurt me too. I'm going to lose too much if I do it. And that's, when it, that's why crossing the pain line must come from a spirit of love. Not a spirit of argumentation. Not because you have something to prove, but because it's love. Because you love that person and you know they need to hear it. And planting a seed is often some of the hardest work that we can do. Because we know they're going to come against us, but at least that seed is planted. We said what needed to be said, so they have it now. And that is something that God can work in, in their heart, over time. And maybe one day they'll come to acknowledge the truth of what was said about the gospel or whatever it was that had spiritual implications. Maybe it's a rebuke to a fellow brother or sister in Christ. But it needs to be done, even though it may not bear immediate fruit. But the seed is planted that will hopefully bear fruit in the future, even though right now I'm getting hurt because of it. Does that make sense? with the words of God. Mm-hmm. It's the words of God yeah. that does the confronting, right. not really you. Like, how right. can you argue against right. what the Bible has said? Right. Also, for myself, in, in meeting strangers and feeling the spirit within me talk, wanting me to talk about him, and if, even though it's a stranger, I don't know, don't know that person. Yeah. But I feel the sense of you need to talk about God and faith and especially in the work environment and the, the pain of opening the mouth and what God has shown me more often than not <clears throat> is this sweet fellowship of another believer sitting there in pain and suffering and being able to glorify God in it. And it's my own selfish resistance of what they're going to think and it's like they're just waiting yeah. for somebody to come along beside them to build them up in God. Right. You know our pastor is 75 and he has this wonderful sense of humor and uh, he's been like me as ch- uh, saved as a child and he'll go a lot of times he'll say this to us he'll go and just he'll be in the doctor's office or he'll be here or he'll be there and he'll say He'll, he'll go up to a big guy and he'll say, if a fight breaks out, I'm on your side. <laughs> sometimes humor to open the door mm-hmm. and then he'll right. say, oh, I'm pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, and now he's got their attention. He's got, and I don't know. Everybody mm-hmm. has a different way of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. And sometimes, like you guys were kind of talking about, sometimes the, the pain line is sacrifice. You know, sometimes there's a sacrifice that needs to be made that's not just words, an action, a gift, or encouragement that could turn into something that you didn't intend it to. Something where you have to give something of yourself and that it hurts even though you know it needs to happen. Pain line that you have to cross to do God's will, to do what the Spirit is guiding you to do. Are you, do, you know, do you know the shepherd's voice when he calls you, come over to this pasture? Do you know the shepherd's voice when he speaks? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do we know his voice when he's calling you to go across that pain line? Can we sense that voice? Do we know what that voice even sounds like in our spirit, in the word? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It doesn't matter where he's asking you to go. He follow, he, you know, God called Abraham to go to a place he didn't know. Never seen it before, didn't know anything about that land. But he just got up and went in faith. Anything else? 
Well, you know, when all those people were murdered at that church in South Carolina a couple years ago, a uh, pastor called Marty and he said, I, I want to go downtown, I want to talk to people down there. And at that point, they were really in danger. <laughs> yeah. Because there were riot crowds down there and everything, you know. And so that could have been painful, but, but um, Marty could probably talk more about it. <clears throat> I was here with Linda when this happened, and the next thing I know, Pastor and Marty's uh, picture were in the uh, USA Today. USA Today. <laughs> but um, he could tell you more about that yeah. time. Uh, Pastor made candles that night and put them out with the nine people that were, were killed. And of course, they always say it was. Not that all the nine people, but the twelve people, the three people, some who played dead, and, and the pastor's wife in the office. So twelve, twelve disciples and everything, and God is so good to us. And he saw it as an excellent opportunity to witness to the community about mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah. So we went out there and uh, <laughs> got pretty heated. Mm -hmm. uh, they were marching, and uh, they had the Black Lives Matter that had just formed up yeah. the Black Panther movement. And they were marching back and forth in front of the old manual yeah. church there in Charleston. Yeah. And we had the uh, the candles and, and we said a prayer for each one of the and all the people started coming to us, talking to us about the Lord yeah. and giving up gospel tracts. Mm -hmm. um, you got you got to look for that. That was right. a pain line for sure. Right. And it got pretty heated. And I, I said, Pastor, don't you think we ought to be we ought to be moseying on here a little bit? Yeah. And he said, I'm not running, Marty. And I said, I'm not wrong yeah. either, but it's getting pretty, getting pretty yeah. hot here, you know. Right. But there were people there, too, that supported it. Yeah. <laughs> and in number eight, we talked about it a little last week, where it's like you have one of these passages that's talking about, I'm going to make you fishers of men, but then the other passage that says, I'm sending you out of sheep among wolves. We like the idea of going fishing, but we don't really like the idea of being in a den of wolves. <laughs> But we have to receive both. Sometimes it'll be like fishing. Sometimes it's going to be like a, being a sheep in the midst of wolves. And we have to accept both if we're going to accept all of Jesus and his will for us. Number nine, when we don't evangelize, it's because we don't think it's working. Or you don't think that it's worth it. Man, I've just been, I've told this person time after time after time, or I'm constantly talking to people about Jesus, but nobody is responding. Well, they're responding, just not positively. <laughs> it's not working. And if it's not working, then you start thinking, well, my efforts aren't really worth it. It's not worth going out and talking to these people. It's not worth crossing this pain line all the time, only to get hit and not see any fruit born. Is that the case, though? No. The Bible does say, I wish I wrote this passage down, that His Word is like the rain that goes, and it supplies the ground with nourishment, and it brings forth fruit, and it goes and it, does, it accomplishes exactly what God wants it to do. It can't come back, just like the rain can't fly back up to the sky. The rain doesn't return. No, but it does what God sent it out to do. And when we go out and we send out God's word, we scatter it like seed, 
it does what God intended it to do. We have that promise in Scripture that at some point it's in God's hands. We need to labor, be laborers in the harvest. But at some point it is in God's hand because sometimes you scatter the seed and you scatter and you scatter and you don't see anything growing. Why did God make me scatter all this seed only for nothing to grow? Well, you could ask the prophets about that. <laughs> they, have a, they have a few things to say about that. Many of the, most of the prophets were not heeded. A couple of them, God told them ahead of time. They're not going to listen to you, but do it anyway. God has a purpose for every single time we proclaim the gospel. It's not just you doing these little things. God has a purpose when his word goes out. It's doing something. You just don't always see what it's doing. Sometimes it'll bear harvest a long way down the road when you have lost connection with that person. You never know. Sometimes it's a word to somebody who's claiming to be a Christian, but they're really a goat, and they need to be convinced that they're a goat. They're not a sheep. Sometimes the word of God divides. It helps us understand who's a sheep and who's a goat by the way people respond to it. That's why we can't withhold from the hard things. Because the sheep will respond well to the hard things, those who are truly humble before God. The goats will come against it and say, no, I love the love of God, but I will not accept it when it says no homosexuals will be entered into the kingdom of heaven. Well, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Because the sheep will heed his voice when he speaks. But... And I can't keep going on and on about what exactly could be happening when we present the gospel and it seems to not do anything because if we had the answers, then we would never ask the question. <laughs> so therefore, I don't have all the answers. But we don't evangelize often because we don't think it'll work. It's just little old me. I'm not smart. I'm not an apologist. I can't, I'm not going to be able to answer all their questions. They're just going to ask me about all these random things that I don't know answer, have answers to. It's not going to work. Or it's not worth it because it just doesn't work. It's not worth it because it's too painful. It's too much work for too little reward, we might say to ourselves. I'd have to give up way too much to make this worth it. So we don't do it. Number 10, we can avoid getting hit if we are, this is page 18, charming, funny, or interesting. Charming, funny, or interesting. You know, isn't that the way of the world, right? If you don't want people to be mad at you, well, just tell some jokes. Be more interesting. Have a better stage presence. <laughs> don't say anything that they might disagree with. Only say fluffy things that everybody in their right mind would ever agree with. <laughs> or not their right mind. So be charming, funny, and more be just be more interesting. It's about your presentation. It's not about the word. It's about your presentation. Sometimes it is the presentation when we are sinful and proud and full of ourselves. But we can't receive the lie that says, just because I'm not a good speaker, like Moses, that God's not going to use your conversation. Mm -hmm. They're obviously the most important because I think Jonathan Edwards read most of his sermons and they right. said he was very bland. Right. But his words had a lot of meaning. Right. And yeah. he did a lot of good. Yeah, I've heard that too. Right. And his presentation wasn't probably like Spurgeon's, but right. he, just, he just read the sermon. Right. And I, from what I understand, his sermons were written on like 
postcard-sized pieces of paper. So it was really little, so he had to hold him up to his face to read his writing. <laughs> so it was just very poor stage presence as far as nobody would teach you to preach like that. <laughs> you know, and I don't even preach the way I was taught to preach. I was taught to you know, deviate from, where the, from one position and walk over here and then walk over here and have all these different hand motions. And, you know, and I don't do that. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because of... In, what? Yeah, right. Yeah, and there's a lot of preachers who do like that. And so in, in, a lot of more, in a lot of modern churches, they don't even have a pulpit at all. They just have the pastor up there holding his Bible, presenting it so he's free to walk around. And there's nothing wrong with those things. None of those things are wrong, and there are a lot of advantages to those things. Um, but we have to lose faith in our presence. Let God, put your faith in God. And don't worry about your getting hit, because you're going to get hit. Jesus promised it. If you're following him properly, you're going to get hit. So rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When people persecute you, treat you shamefully, spitefully use you. The other thing that comes to my mind is, I think more than, I think it's our human tendency, you want to be well prepared and mm-hmm. in case the people ask you this, this, or this. Right. But at the same time, it has nothing to do with me other than my being willing to open my mouth. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you don't know where somebody is when you talk to them. Yeah. You don't know what they're going through. And maybe they've heard this a jillion times. Yeah. But it hits them harder because of something they're going through that you have no clue. Right. You don't even know who they right. are. But you have no clue. And that's when I think, just like when I fly, usually because I fly alone, I usually get to sit in between people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But you usually have somebody sitting beside you. But I always try to be prepared. And a lot of times I'm just sitting there. Lord, give me the courage, give me the courage, mm-hmm. give me the courage to say something. And mm-hmm. Kind of like Sandy, how do I start this? And a lot of times people don't want anything to do about talking around religion, but then right. you never know. Right. Because you don't know what they're going through. Right. True. Yeah, there was one time in college, there was this ministry called State Street Evangelism. And we went to um, State Street, which is a big, which was a big shopping restaurant area for the University of Wisconsin. And we would go and we'd pass out tracks and witness Things like that. Well, I hand a track to this guy who's walking by, and he takes it and goes on his way, and he looks down at it, and I'm just, I continue walking and doing my thing. He turns back around and comes back to me, and he's like, why did you give me this? And I was ready to be chewed out or something like that. And I'm like, well, because, you know, just the gospel, you need the gospel, that kind of stuff. And he's like, thank you for giving this to me, because just yesterday, I was hitting rock bottom, I was outside of a church, I was throwing rocks at the church, screaming at God, saying, God, if you're real, tell, bring someone to tell me. <laughs> and then here I am passing him a tract. And I didn't, I didn't even really try to strike up a conversation with him. I just gave him a tract and kept going about my business. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this man is getting saved on his knees in the middle of this busy street. Our pastor tells a story uh, he gave a gospel track out to a fellow, and he was at this preacher's conference years later, and he bumps into this fellow, and he was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And he gave up and gave his testimony when our pastor was in the audience, how a person had given him a gospel track 35 years ago, yeah. and had he read the gospel track, and he got saved, and he became a pastor himself. Mm-hmm. And he was reunited with our pastor mm-hmm. after that conference. Right. 
Right. You never know where, where, right. where, you know, where the word's going to go. Right. And we're not going to finish this today. We'll finish it next week and hopefully start chapter 2 next week. But all this to say, like, we, it is not our place to say whether what we did was worth it or not. It's God's place to say that. Because like you said, it could take 30 years for it to bear fruit. Not every vegetable that you plant grows at the same pace. <laughs> when you plant a seed, some of it sprouts up quickly. Some of it sprouts up way long later. Some of it doesn't sprout up at all and it bears thorns. But all of it takes time. It's not our place to say, was this worth it or not? It's just our place to say, you know what? The gospel is the good news and it's worth giving to everybody that I see, regardless of how hard it is. That's our place. Our place is just to follow Christ and present the word to the people. It's not our place to say, is this worth it or not? Thank you, Lord, for this conversation. I pray that you would send us in courage and faith in the word of God in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whom you sent to us. Help us to have the right priorities as we live out our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen.